silent night, holy night. Probably is one of the most popular Christmas songs that have ever been sung. There's probably not a one in here that have not sung that song sometime or another during their life. But how did that song come about? Up in the Swedish Alps, a Catholic priest and an organist was talking one night. And they were talking about that the greatest Christmas song has yet to be sung. And so after a series of days had gone by, their organ had broke. And so the priest that day, Joseph Marr, had taken on the task of writing a song that the church could sing a cappella. I thought it was interesting that you did that this morning. Because the very first time that Silent Night, Holy Night was ever sung, was sung a cappella. And he wanted to make it so simple that the, you could sing it without instruments. In 1818, he wrote that song. Silent Night, Holy Night. No doubt there was not a greater song that has ever been written about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Silent Night, Holy Night. It was a holy night. I was listening uh, to a group of men uh, one time at the convention. And one of our seminary presidents was speaking in the midst of that gathering. And he said that uh, there was the chairman of the accreditation board was at his school that week. And the chairman had turned to him and said, Mr. President, what is the purpose of your school? And immediately that president said, the purpose of our school is to change the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the guy said, the chairman says, oh, I understand that when... Institutions come that their primary purpose is to influence the world with their education. But what is your particular purpose? He says, our particular purpose is to change the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater time that you will find that the world has been changed than here at Christmas time. Because it signifies that through that holy night that God came through the form of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to change the world. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, please. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul does not record any writings in in his his uh, writings, that, uh, that records the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He left that up with Matthew and Luke. 
Matthew and Luke, they were the historians. The Apostle Paul was the theologian. He does not give us the story of Christmas, but he gives us the glory of Christmas. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful story. What he does here in Philippians chapter 2, he allows us to go behind the scenes in heaven before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to allow us to examine what the birth of how holy it is and how it brings glory to the Father. With you Bibles open, would you stand with me? Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 5. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. 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 Father, what a tremendous word from the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray that you allow us to go behind the scenes and to be able to see what transpired there in the heavens of bringing the Lord Jesus Christ into this world and why he came and the purpose of him coming. And oh, Lord, we know that the ultimate purpose was to change this world for the sake and the cause of Christ. We pray for the filling and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Use us for the name and the glory of Christ that we serve. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Christmas. I want to share with you three things that the Apostle Paul shares with us today concerning Christmas and allowing us to go before the behind the scenes of eternity and to see what God had in store and had planned for you and I today. First of all, you look in verse 6. 
of, of this chapter. And you see that Christmas is the celebration of a son. Now notice what the Bible says there in verse 6, just for a moment. The Bible says, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Did you realize there is no recorded birth in Scripture after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? The genealogy and the, uh, the, the tree, the family tree, begins and stops at the Lord Jesus Christ. As you go back from Genesis to Malachi, all of it was pointing to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christ that we know today that was born in Bethlehem. Paul doesn't give us any details, as I've said earlier, about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what he does, he leaves that up to Matthew and Luke to give us all of the primary details concerning the birth. That's why Luke chapter 2 is such a favorite chapter of mine, and I'm sure of yours, as it begins to go in detail of how Christ was born of a virgin. And there, there in Bethlehem, and of the angels coming and speaking and sharing the good tidings of great joy. But what Paul does, he takes a theological perspective concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He allows us to go behind the curtains of all eternity. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, he says there in verse 6. That word equal is a very interesting word. It literally means equal in size, equal in quality, equal in character, equal in number. So, thinking that on those particular lines, let's read that verse of Scripture once again. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In every way, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus is equal with God. In other words, he is God. What he was speaking to us today, even though he did not cling to his equality, he certainly claimed his his. His, uh, uh, his, his character of God. And others understood that. I'm reminded of the scriptures in John chapter 5. Listen to this in verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. Now listen to this making himself equal with God. Equal with God. Paul goes on a step further to try to reinforce the equality of Jesus and God as being one. As he says, being in the form of God, there in verse 6. That word form refers to a Roman stamp. 
in Bible times when they were getting ready to sign an official document. They would put hot wax upon that document. And there that they would take the insignia of the ring of the emperor. And there he would place that ring in that hot wax. And there upon that official document represented the same representation of the ring of the emperor. In other words, what he was literally saying is that Jesus is the exact representation of God himself. That when you see Jesus, you see God. And if you want to know what God expects and looks and talks and reveals, look at Jesus. John chapter 10. Jesus made these very important statements in verse 30. I and my Father are one. And then, of course, John chapter 14, verse 9. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you want to know what the Father looks like, look at me. Even though the Lord Jesus Christ laid his glory down, And he took upon himself as a bondservant, a man. My friend, I want you to never, I want you to understand that he never ceased from being God. He never ceased from being God. When Jesus became a man, there was no subtraction. My friend, I want you to understand that he remained God altogether. Now, I want you to understand, he was not part man and part God, a little bit of man and a little bit of God. That was not who he was. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. And so that subtraction never existed when he became a man from God. If the FBI had his fingerprints of the Lord Jesus Christ they would have the fingerprints of God himself. That's how exact he really is. But let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus leave the glory of heaven to come into a sin-cursed world? To leave honor? To leave glory? To leave praise, to leave all of that adoration. Why did he do that? You say, well, he did that. And he came into planet Earth. Even though he's going to be ridiculed, he's going to be despised, he's going to be rejected, he's going to be sped upon as a common criminal, he's going to be looked as. Well, my friend, the only reason, of course, is that he was the only one that could take away sin. Everybody else had been touched with with the world of sin. No one else could deal with sin. Only a perfect God, Jesus Christ. 
And that's why we read in verse 8, it says that Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I don't know if we can fully understand that. I really don't know if we can really comprehend how God sits upon the throne of glory. And leaves that throne of glory where angels are praising him and giving adoration to leave and to come into a world of sin and take the despise of mankind. I don't know if we can comprehend that. I read a fable one time. That kind of helps us to understand the illustration of it, of how God came into this world and why he came into this world. There was a man by the name of Walter. Walter went to work for this large corporation. And the personnel director told Walter that in order for him to ever to achieve any success that he was going to have to start from the bottom. And so they placed him in the mailroom. And there he was working in the mailroom. And then one particular day there in the mailroom, he happens to see this roach. And he was about to go over and to put his foot upon that roach and to kill it. And about that time, the roach spoke to him and says, my name is Milton. And he says, spare my life and I will grant you any wish that you want. Well, Milton thought, well, that's rather strange, but I will try it. He said, I'd like to become the vice president of this corporation. He becomes the vice president of the corporation. It was amazing. And one wish right after another wish, right after another wish, Milton began to grant all these wishes for Walter until finally he became the chairman of the board of the largest corporation of the world. He there had the largest office at the tallest building of the world. He was somebody. Everybody looked up to him. And oh, how he thought he was somebody. Until one day he heard somebody on the rooftop and he walked out and there was a little boy. And that little boy was praying. And there... Walter asked him, he said, who are you praying to? Walter, the most important man in the world? He said, oh no, I'm praying to God. Well, that, ex- that upset that man. So he goes back to his office and he calls for Milton, the roach, to come back to his office and he said, I want to be 
like God. Whom? He was in the mailroom the next moment. Did you realize God went from the penthouse to the storehouse for the purpose to humble himself before you and I today. To take upon himself the humanity of man. To be able to understand and to identify And to be able to rectify the sins of the world. But oh friend, I want you to see something else. Christmas is not only the celebration of a son. But Christmas is the humiliation of a savior. Listen to what the Bible says there in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Now don't miss miss that. When he says even to the death of the cross. Because Jesus was God for us. And that he came to planet earth. To be Emmanuel, God with us. That he might be God in us. That's the purpose of Christ's coming. He didn't become a man just to live. He became a man to die. That was the whole purpose of him coming. You see, Jesus did not have to die. You think about it. Oh, I understand he had to die to save us from our sins. But Jesus did not have to do that. It was not out of obligation that he died for us, but it was out of obedience that he died for us. He could have chosen not to. The father asked him, would he come? And out of obedience, he chose to come. The father asked him to die. And out of obedience, he chose to die. That's why John 3.16 is so important and so special. For God so loved the world. What? That he gave. He gave his only, only. Think about that. No other. Only begotten Son. Five friend, I want you to understand. He came because he wanted to. He came because he chose to. But Paul says something that is very interesting here. Look at that verse of scripture once again. It says, and as even the death of the cross. Now what does that mean? He didn't die an ordinary death. Literally what happened, he died the death of a common, everyday criminal. That's the kind of death that he died. The Lord experienced the physical torture. 
in the form of the cross, the Bible reminds us of. The Roman system of crucifixion has been fine-tuned to produce its maximum pain. You go back and you think about that experience of the Roman days as they would crucify one. In fact, the word excruciating comes from means out of the cross. Literally means that this word was fully invented in order that you might comprehend the pain and the humility of the death upon a cross. Crucifixion was not only barbaric, my friend, but it was also carrying out a capital punishment exquisitely designed to bring total humiliation and great horrifying pain that one might would experience. Crucifixion was not only for the purpose of killing the individual, but it was also for the purpose of humiliating them to the point beyond comprehension. Crucifixion in the Roman days. Of course, they would scourge those, those criminals. And then, of course, they would take a, a wooden beam, a cross, and they would carry those crosses upon those backs that have been beaten and bruised and splattered. And the humiliation of it all, as they were hanging up there upon that cross, they would strip them from their clothing, hanging their naked, and they would sell their garments to those that were looking on. There on that cross, totally humiliated in front of mankind. They didn't even have the decency to bury majority of those that was crucified. They're hanging with nails in their hand and in their feet. After they had taken that final breath, birds would come and feast off of their bodies. Even the death of the cross. God himself. Leaving the throne of heaven. The glories. And the praises. Of angels. To come and to experience. Such a thing. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying, was being planned out even before Mary had her baby. Oh, my friend. No wonder the Bible says Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. You've heard from that famous man, Dr. Death, Jack Kerbokfield, 
Kaborkian. I'll get it right in a minute. Kaborkian. He made a statement one time about the death of Christ. And this is what he said. Do you think it's dignified to hang from wood and nails through your hands and feet? Had Jesus died in my van, it would have been more dignified. Well, Dr. Kevorkian didn't understand the death of Jesus. He did not die a dignified death. He died a glorified death. A major difference. But the third thing I want you to see, not only the celebration, Christmas is the celebration of a son. Christmas is the humiliation of a Savior. But also look in verse 9. Christmas is the exaltation of a sovereign. The Bible says there in verse 9, listen to it very carefully. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now, quite frankly, the celebration of his birth would turn to mourning. And the commemoration of his death would be just a bad memory if there was no exaltation. You see, an ordinary baby that is born, there's really not a real major cause of celebration. That's common. But a dead Savior that has been risen as Lord and is called exaltation and coronation, that's something to rejoice about. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now, what name is he talking about? Was he talking about the name Jesus? Most of us would say yes. But the name Jesus was rather ordinary when Jesus was born. Quite a few boys had the name Jesus. But but Paul was not talking about the name Jesus. He was talking about the name and title Lord Jesus. Big difference. Jesus is the name of humiliation Lord is the name of exaltation. Exaltation. Whoever the Lord is, Paul says, is supreme. He is worthy of our allegiance. You see, Jesus was born as a man so that he could relate to us as men and women. He died as a Savior so He could redeem men and women. But He was raised from the grave as Lord. 
that he might be mighty and Lord over us all. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, that we must preach Christ Jesus the Lord. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know what Christmas is all about? You stop and you think about it just for a moment. Christmas reminds us of some very special things. It reminds us that we're going to accept Jesus' lordship. Listen to what he says in verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. In other words, he is saying that when you bow, you bow to surrender. When you bow, you place yourself under the subjection of that one that you bow to. It's an act of humility. It's something that you do when you worship and you give homage to. Paul makes it plain. He said, not just a few, not just some, but he says, every knee will bow. Whether by choice or whether by force. Every knee above us in heaven, whether it be angels or men, Paul says they will bow. Every knee around us on earth, whether believer or unbeliever, will bow before him as Lord. Every knee under us, the devils, the devil and the demons themselves will bow the knee one day to Jesus Christ as Lord. So Christmas reminds us that we're to accept His Lordship. But Christmas also reminds us that we're to acknowledge His Lordship. Look what the Bible says in verse 11. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word confess, as you well uh, understand, means that we agree with. And it's an opening proclamation. Think about it for a moment. Every pagan tongue, every atheist tongue, every Buddhist tongue, every Muslim tongue, Every humanistic tongue, every man will one day will confess he is Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul is reminding us. This is what Christmas is all about. Is to accept his Lordship, but to also to acknowledge his Lordship. But then he goes a step further in verse 11. He says that we will acclaim his Lordship. He says, to the glory of God the Father. Think about that for a moment. Why do we accept and acclaim His Lordship? For the purpose of giving glory to God the Father. Your life, history, and today is for one purpose, and it's to give glory 
to God the Father, which is acclaimed through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I read an interesting story over two centuries ago. There was a man by the name of Sir Roger Bolter. Very wealthy individual, but a very dynamic Christian. He was visiting Colchester, England. And there was a fair that was going on. And he was going from one exhibit to another exhibit to another exhibit. Until finally, the town's clock began to strike. And like a little boy, he counted the strikes of that, of that clock. And to his amazement, it struck 13 times. He thought he had, mist- had made a mistake until there was a small, dark individual standing beside him and says, isn't that interesting? That clock struck 13 times. Well, of course, Sir Roger, as he did so well every day, he put that in his diary, that the clock had struck 13 times there in Colchester, England, at that county fair. Two months later, he was awakened in the middle of the night. And there was a strange voice that had spoke to him. And he says, you must go to York, England. He had no business in York, but he could not get away from that communication that was given to him that he must go to York. And so he did. So the next morning he gets up, he gets on his horse, and he rides to York, England. As he enters into the town there in York, he happened to notice that there at the town hall, they were conducting a trial. And there they were about, he entered into that courtroom and he sat down in the gallery. And the judge was getting ready to pass sentence. And he spoke to the individual and he said, We are about to sentence you to death because of your crime. Do you have any words for your defense? The man stood and he said, Sir, I was a hundred miles away from this place when that crime took place. The judge says, but do you have any way to prove it? He said, there was one man that stood beside me that day and the clock struck 13 times. And if only if I could find that man, he could justify my means for not being at the crime that was given. About that time, Sir Roger spoke up and he said to the Judge, he said, sir, may I come before your presence? He pulls out his diary. 
And there he shows that at that particular hour, there was this man that agreed with him. So the judge, he dismissed the sentence. And he says, you're a free man to go. On the basis of this particular man, he set you free. That particular day, as they were walking out of the courtroom, that dark individual put his arms around Sir Roger. And he said, you were the only man in the world that could have saved me. And you did. My friend, I want you to understand, the only man in the world that can save you from your sins is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what Christmas is all about? Have you accepted Him as your Savior and your Lord? Have you acknowledged the fact He is Lord? Are you willing to acclaim His Lordship today? Father, in Jesus' name, what a message that the Apostle Paul shares with us. Even before the time that Jesus Christ was to be born, there in eternity, God the Father and the Son came up with a plan To change this world. What a holy night it was. When Jesus came into this world. And gave his life as a ransom. For each and every one. Thank you so much. For the special gift of salvation. Today, as we enter into this Christmas season, can you acknowledge Him? Have you accepted Him? Have you acclaimed the fact that He is Lord of your life? If not, today, the Bible says, is a day of salvation. And I invite you to do that. As believers... There's times as we've drifted away and we've realized that the world has come into our life and has separated that fellowship that we've had with Christ as Lord. We need to come back. And we need to come back acknowledging that He is Lord and confessing He is Lord. Maybe you're here today And you need to do that, coming to an old-fashioned altar. Maybe you're here today as a person that says, I'd like to be a part of the fellowship of the church of Kempsville Baptist. I want to be a part of the ministry. We want to recognize and to accept that very fact of God's will for your life. So would you come today?